Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you. And we're going to tell you about some technology you might run into in the aisles at the grocery store, Travis. But it won't run into you because it's smarter than that. Well, that's very that, true. Those are... Those are the robots at Schnooks, yeah. And then we're going to talk with the Enterprise Holdings Foundation about just a, a huge, a major commitment, $120 million, and some of it's going to fight hunger. A lot of it is going to racial and social equity. Yeah, and I, what I really appreciate about you know, this type of a story is you know, moving into the holiday season and really coming out of a year of a lot of strife. It's great to see corporations uh, being good stewards of, of their resources and putting it back into the community to, to address major problems and challenges. Absolutely. And then finally, we're going to finish the show by talking about a big advancement in one of St. Louis's central industries, geospatial technology. There is a new effort to help boost startups in that area. We'll talk with GeoFutures about that. Well, it's it's interesting because if we think of you know geospatial and the the tech companies that could be built, maybe people think of them as just for spy satellites and the NGA. Mm. But if we go back to what our first story is today, the robots and schnooks, those use location data as well. So it all starts tying together. No, oh, that's a great point because the robots don't run into you, and they know that when they pass the empty spot on the shelf, that uh, that is supposed to be the pancake mix. They, they know that because of geospatial technology. Yeah, so it all ties together. And so you should stick around and listen to the whole show. We're going to get started with Robots at Schnooks right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you. And you could call this a Nothing Impossible follow-up. In 2017, we told you about how Schnooks was bringing in robots to help detect uh, out-of-stock items. And uh, Schnooks is really now, three years later, ramping this program up. And I, I see them pretty frequently when I go shopping. It's pretty, it's, it's really cool to, it feels like the future is now, but it was, 27, it was 2017, so the future's been there for a while. Well, the future is expanding, I guess you could say now. Uh, by the way, this robot does have eyes on it, if I recall correctly. Dave Steck from Schnook Markets is joining us. Thank you so much for uh, taking our call. Well, thank you. Yeah, so tell us about these robots uh, beyond the fact that they have eyes. <laughs> what are they looking for? What are they scanning? What, what do they do for you? So Tally is a fully autonomous robot that is uh, it's, it's going through the store two to three times a day. And what, what it's looking for is uh, basically holes on the shelf. It's, it's not counting inventory. It's looking for things that are out on shelf. 
it's also collecting the coordinates for every shelf tag in the store so we know exactly where that item is. And the next thing it's doing is it's uh, checking the validity of the tag to make sure that that is the proper tag and the proper price for that item. And what have you seen over the last three years as, as Tally has been deployed? Uh, been an interesting process that we've gone through. Um, through the three years, we've tried different different things with it uh, on as far as uh, tuning things with operations. And it's, it's taken us a little while to get things refined, but uh, we finally got there to work to the point where we're, we're expanding now. And I guess the big thing on it is that when we first started, it would notify the store team so often on things that were out on shelf, we were just overwhelming them. And what we did was we refined that quite a bit so that we create a pull list for them in the morning. So when the, the clerk comes in in the morning, the first thing that they do is go to the back room and they have this list of items now that they need to pull from the back room and bring to the shelf. And we've done a lot of refining on it. So we're not just telling them that it's out on the shelf. If it's out on the shelf, we know that that's something that our systems don't already know about. So we're not sending them out there for something that we know is on the truck today or is going to be on the truck tomorrow. This is a true out that our systems have no clue about, that they, they don't know why it's out on shelf. Dave, before Tally came into the scene, did you just rely on customers saying, hey, this item I'm looking for is gone? Or were there employees whose assignment was to scour the shelves and look for the spaces which might be empty? How was this done before? And then uh, I assume that the uh, customer uh, response has been great in terms of being able to find what they need now. We were always doing the, the out-on-shelf scans. The store teammates were doing that. And we increased efficiencies there, but it's never really been an effective way of doing things. Um, trying to find uh, top-shelf and bottom-shelf items that are out-on-shelf is, is really difficult for the store teams to do. So they, they were never effective on it. Um, as, we've, as we brought the robots in and we compared the effectiveness of the robot against what the store teams are able to do. The robot's generally anywhere from two times to 14 times more effective at finding those, those out-on-shelf situations than the store teams were. And, yeah, it's, ultimately that's the goal is to improve customer satisfaction and get that customer experience where it needs to be. And uh, we're hope, we hope we're getting there with, uh, with what we've done thus far with the robot. Now you you talk uh, you've mentioned a couple of times the efficiency of the robots and the accuracy. Is this a case of the robot overlords taking over? What does this mean for for jobs? It doesn't really mean anything for jobs. It, it, this is just another tool for the store teams to use. Uh, we're, we didn't take hours away from the store teams as, uh, as part of this. We've got more items now that need to be brought to the shelf than before. We're tuning things in the back room so they're more efficient back there. We're getting more product on the truck, so we need that product put up. And that's, that's really ultimately what it is. A robot doesn't have hands. It can't stock the items. So we still need all of the people that we have, you know, two years ago that we have today to put the items up. We didn't, we didn't trim ours. Dave, this kind of reminds me a little bit of another 
a St. Louis company that we've talked with, Capacity, a startup that does AI for companies to uh, streamline, whether it's uh, gathering data from spreadsheets or dealing with HR, just these um, these administrative kind of things about the job. And it doesn't it doesn't get rid of any jobs. This AI it just makes everything a little easier. And it seems like that's what Tally does. It hasn't, as you mentioned, uh, gotten rid of any hours or gotten rid of any employees. It just makes everybody's job a little bit more smoother and a little bit easier. Is that a good way to put it? Uh, that's exactly how I would put it, yes. Well, and one of, the, one of the things that I always appreciate about you know, this type of innovation is it could also allow employees to grow, right? They could start learning new tasks, uh, and it could also mean a new type of uh, employee for schnooks. Uh, you know, maybe data scientists can now work in the, in the grocery business in a, in a new way. Are you seeing that the types of jobs are evolving over time as well? Well, we've brought in a whole data science team within the last year and a half, two years. And the feeds from Tally are one of the things that they're, that they're utilizing. And we've actually complemented some of the things that Tally is doing because, because Tally is only going out two or three times a day. If there's an item that is much faster moving than Tally can, can detect on it, we can use our data science in conjunction with everything that we've written around Tally for out-on-shelf notification and just incorporate things that are faster moving that based off of the fact that it's not moving across the front end and Tally may not have detected it, we'll give the store teams uh, a notification, hey, we think this is out as well, and Tally didn't even notice that. So. Tally's, Tally's good, but it's not perfect. Add data science to it. It's just another layer to it. So, yeah, there's, there's more opportunities uh, around the data sciences space as well. We're talking with David Steck, who's the VP of IT Infrastructure and Application Development at Schnook Markets, our big locally-based supermarket chain here. And, Dave, uh, one news story that came out recently in the last month or so was about another big retailer, Walmart, which says that it doesn't want to use robots anymore. Maybe a little bit uh, on their end was customer feedback, but it seems like things have been uh, really great on your end in terms of customer reaction to Tally. I, I don't recall any kind of uh, a pushback or even necessarily confusion from customers. Has there been? No, I mean, you, you're always going to have the the folks that are negative about it, but for the for the most part, people are very excited to see the robot. Uh, kids love it. People are interested in what it's doing. When you see the incorporation of what we've done within the Schnooks app, where we can now provide that item location in the Schnooks app for a customer as they're shopping, they can find exactly where that item is in the in the store to the the aisle side and uh, shelf segment number. That, that you tie all that in, the customers are very interested in it. And, and Walmart, they went a different pro approach. They went with a different robotics vendor. The robot was, was huge. Uh, it needed to go down the center of the aisle, so it was very disruptive to the customers. And that's why we like Tally. It's, it's a small robot. It positions itself about 18 inches away from the shelf, and it, it stays out of the customer's way. It's not something that is big and scary to the customers. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. And, and uh, listeners, if you're out there, uh, Dave, is it okay for people to take a selfie with Tally? Uh, is that approved? That, that's approved. Tally's, Tally's a shy robot, though. So if you're, <laughs> you're going to stand next to Tally, it's going to try to move away from you. So be quick with your picture. 
Um, and, you know, don't try to grab it or anything, but certainly you can you can get a, get a selfie with it, and hopefully it won't turn away from you. Dave, is there any other aspect of the grocery business that you're looking at automating, uh, maybe uh, cleaning the stores? Could robots help with that, for instance, or something else I'm not thinking of? Uh, you uh, hit the nail on the head. We uh, have recently announced that we were putting robotic floor scrubbers into our, our stores as well. Not my uh, not my area of expertise on that. That's more store operations. But uh, we worked with uh, Brain OS that uh, outfits basically human-driven uh, ro- uh, floor cleaners and puts uh, servos and sensor technology on that and converts that into an autonomous floor scrubber as well. And, and we are deploying those now. In fact, we've just completed the deployment uh, to the bulk of our stores on that. All right. Well, keep a watch out. Have your selfie camera ready and watch for the blinking eyes on Tally. David Steck, the VP of IT Infrastructure and Application Development at Schnook Markets. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And stay tuned. We'll be back with more Nothing Impossible right after this on KMOX. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. All right, welcome back to Nothing Impossible, Travis Sheridan and Michael Calhoun. And we are joined right now by Chris Taborn. He is the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Enterprise Holdings. And Chris, you all made a big announcement, like big, big announcement this week. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, thank you very much. Pleasure to be on the program. Uh, as you're correct, we did make a big announcement just recently. In fact, it was just uh, just this Monday, this past Monday. And that is that the uh, Enterprise Foundation is going to be donating uh, $120 million uh, to uh, over the next five years to address two different areas. Uh, the first area is to deal with uh, help with racial uh, racial equity and, uh, and, and social and racial equities within the communities of color. Um, and then the second part of it, is going to be addressing food insecurities globally, and so those are the external sides of the uh, of the initiative that are a part of our uh, program called uh, EHI Enterprise Holdings Road Forward, which stands for Respect, Opportunity, Advancement. I'm sorry, Achievement and Diversity. Uh, the second component is an internal component, and that is making sure that as an organization, that we're looking with inside our organization to make sure that everybody within our organization has an opportunity or an equal opportunity to be successful and to advance within Enterprise. And Chris, we talked earlier this week with Enterprise Holdings Foundation President Carolyn Kindle-Betts, and in terms of uh, why this big donation and why these areas, she said this. This summer, you know, like everybody, I mean, it was just, it was awful to watch, you know, and you were angry and you were sad, and we knew we had to do something. And so, Chris, for you personally, what does it mean to be involved in these causes and to make this size of a commitment to them? Well, yes. I mean, Carolyn is correct to stand 100% behind that. Uh, it was, I mean, a lot of this was triggered by the social unrest that took place this summer, particularly with the death of George Floyd. And uh, But the key part of it is, which means to me personally, is that a lot of this emphasis in terms of intensity uh, really came from our internal side. So that's our employees speaking up and saying that we need to do more as an organization. So after the civil arrest took place, one of the things we did internally is we did a lot of listening sessions, particularly with our black employees, to get a better understanding in terms of where they are, okay, where they are now, check in with their health and well-being, making sure there's anything that we can do to help to support them, you know, through this very difficult time that we know that, you know, has a big impact, particularly on those that were uh, employees of color. And, uh, and then the second thing we did 
once we did that part of it, is that we started asking them, okay, so what can we do more of? We hear more, we hear more. You know, what would it really be, have be something that would be meaningful, something that's going to really uh, have a big impact on all that's going on today? And so that was really the cool part about it. And as, as an employee of color myself, as an African-American, that's something that really hit home for me as well because these are issues that uh, have been going on for so long in terms of social, social unrest and uh, inequalities within the community of color. And so we had to do more. And then the second part of it, too, was the, was the internal look, too, and making sure that uh, we heard from them in terms of areas that we need to improve there. And basically, and the key part is to understand is this is something that's been going, I mean, investing in the communities externally and both internally looking at our internal look is something we've been doing overall as an organization uh, for a long time. Externally, over 60 years, in fact, Jack Taylor, that was one of his said that was one of his values and something that was very important and continues through today. But it was definitely the civil unrest that really sparked uh, the intensity and making sure we need to do more as an organization. Well, and Chris, the other part of this is the uh, the fight against hunger and food insecurity. And while I understand the social unrest that we've seen in the United States uh, could be a catalyst for addressing racial and social injustices. Uh, the food lines that we see around the country right now in the midst of COVID have to be somewhat of a catalyst for addressing some part of this insecu food insecurity, would you say? Yes, no doubt about it. There's, there's definitely a direct, direct link, right? If you don't have access to uh, adequate food, uh, therefore you don't have good nutrition, uh, that's going to have a huge impact on your ability to be able to learn, your ability to, be able to function, your ability to be able to bring your best self and be successful. So both of them are very, very linked. Uh, together in terms of really doing, again, accomplishing both missions. In addition to that, the Fill Your Pro Tank program has actually been in existence since 2016. So what we're actually doing now is adding on to the monies uh, that we were already allocating uh, for the six-year strategy back in 2016. So it's really kind of doubling down on that to make sure that we are doing enough to be able to help to impact uh, communities as it relates, uh, as it relates to food insecurities. The other cool thing about uh, the Fill Your Bank program is a lot of it is really spearheaded by a local operating group. So we have over 8,000 employees uh, across enterprise, and so uh, it really gets our employees involved in working in, uh, in food pantries and, and working in uh, different areas and social organizations that really help to address those strategies. And so they can do it two ways. They can help in terms from the financial giving and having the support behind enterprise from that standpoint, but then also personally getting involved and being able to come up close and personal and really helping these organizations, uh, you know, help to address these, uh, these food insecurity needs. Yeah, Chris, it looks like both aspects of this really hit on neighborhood level help. And uh, I like the part that says with the road forward uh, over the, the next, uh, I guess, year or so, you're going to be talking with employees in all of your different 70 uh, plus uh, geographic areas over the next uh, five years. Uh, and asking them for suggestions on what are the issues that are important to you where you live or what are the organizations in your neighborhood which are, which are making a difference. And then also the way that Feeding America and these other organizations, they filter down to the local level too. How important was that? Uh, very, very important, right? We wanted to make sure we heard from our employees originally, right? This, that really was kind of the spark that brought this about and saying the fact that they need to do more. But, uh, but it's also especially important the fact that they also have a say in that as well. You know, when you look at the foundation dollars, uh, a portion of that comes from four not-for-profit organizations, you know, again, on a, on a much larger scale in which we are, we are helping to fund to help to address some of these social, racial, and equity issues. But then also 
another portion of, in fact, 35 million of that over the next five years are going to be allocated to the local groups. So me personally, I've been with the company. I started with Enterprise as a managing trainee working out in the field. And, uh, you know, you come out and, you, you know, you start to you know, get involved in local organizations. And, and to be able to have that kind of money, you know, allocated to you on an annual basis to go out and spend in organizations that you're a part of and that you belong in is, uh, is extremely empowering on the part of our employees. And it makes us feel as though that, you know, we have an opportunity to make a difference and that Enterprise has got our back. So it's a great way, I think, to really help to do two things, to address the needs that are out there, but then also let our employees know what's most valuable, what's, what, what our values are as an organization, and making sure that we are supporting them in those organizations that they feel are going to do the best work uh, in their local communities. Chris, I wanted to ask uh, somewhat of a related question. Uh, in the midst of COVID and really this economic crisis that we're going in, a lot of the hospitality and travel industry has been hit hard. I would imagine Enterprise as, as a car rental company has been hit hard. How important has it been for on the foundation side and on the corporate side to still com- make these com- these, finan- these meaningful and large financial commitments, even if the, the business side isn't, isn't doing as well, uh, just due to global pandemics? Yeah, you're right. We have hit like everybody else. We've also taken a big hit as well. So, uh, so it's been tough as far as business is concerned. But here's the important thing, at least for me, from my perspective, and I think what employees feel as well, particularly as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion, is that, you know, companies that are truly committed to this do this in good times as well as bad times. So this is really a good demonstration of the organization really walking the walk and talking the talk and saying that this is important to us even in situations where it's tough for us. The second part I will add to that as well is the foundation is separate from the business. So the monies that go into the uh, organizations and the things that we're doing to invest in our communities don't really impact our employees in that respect. So they're, they're, they're different pools of money. But the key part is, is that the foundation really sees this as an ongoing effort. It just further you know, solidifies, in my mind, in our employees' minds, the fact that Enterprise really has this as a high value within the organization. It's as important as anything else that we do. And so from that standpoint, it is a uh, tremendous Uh, message to all of our employees and our community of our commitment. A massive commitment from Enterprise Holdings Foundation, $120 million. And I'd like to get into a little bit of detail. Again, part of this is Enterprise Holdings Road Forward, which stands for Respect, Opportunity, Achievement, and Diversity. And out of the the areas that these uh, pledges are going to, there'll be three major areas, early childhood development, youth health and wellness, and career and college preparation. And so let's just, let's just go through these, these organizations so people are familiar with the work that they're doing and the impact that they're going to have moving forward. And the first is the Obama Foundation My Brother's Keeper Alliance. What do they do? So My Brother's Keeper Alliance is a, it's an organization that's focused on youth health as wellness as well. And, uh, and so you know, what they're responsible for, but for people of color. So what they're responsible for and the work that they do really helps to provide a safe place for, uh, for, for youth to come together, to learn, to uh, learn values, uh, to kind of work on their skills. Uh, but it's a safe place. It's a place where they know that they have access to mentors and people that are going to help to shape the shape for their long-term career. And this is particularly important, particularly with black youth, for example, and the need for uh, individual mentors and, uh, you know, and support in this area. But it's, it's, a, it's a really solid foundation. It's going to really help them, help them in terms of moving forward and moving, going to college, where you go into the next area, 
which is career and college readiness. We have organizations like UNICEF that are helping out, help to provide uh, support for students, uh, particularly from a financial standpoint. So they have what they call their last dollar program. So once they're existing you know, dollars run out, then there's a program that's going to help to help them finish out their college educations. So both of those programs kind of work together hand-in-hand uh, hand, uh, just in terms of developing youth and making sure they fulfill their college prep and uh, go on to their careers. And then the second and the third part of it would be the early childhood development. Okay, And so what's unique about the early child development program and parents with teachers is that they focus on parents empowering parents so that they can uh, get involved in their child's uh, early education to help create a strong foundation for their success. And so when you think about it, I mean, that's really where the learning begins. That's where you start to learn, to, to love to learn, and to want to grow, and to read books, and the importance of a good education. And so uh, early child education, support by uh, parents as teachers, is going to do a great job of setting that foundation. Chris, these, are all, these all sound great. And I, as I think about... Uh you know, without getting into a lot of political discussion, uh, programs like United Negro College Fund and, and Girls, Inc., uh, you know, we're, we're seeing what happens when we invest in underrepresented groups. Uh, sooner or later, they could be, uh, those folks become vice president-elect of the United States. So it's nice to see this type of effort continuing to, to, to foster the next generation of leaders and for Enterprise Holdings uh, Foundation playing such an active role in it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. I think really... What's out there is everybody just wants, a, wants an opportunity to be successful, right? They want to make sure that they have an equal opportunity. And so the Enterprise Holding Foundation, the donation is going to go a long way to kind of leveling the playing field, okay, removing some of the barriers so that all people, uh, regardless of where you live, the community that you're a part of, uh, the neighborhood that you live in, that you have an equal opportunity for success. Well, Chris Tayburn, the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Enterprise Holdings, thank you so much for the time and all the information. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the program. And if you'd like more, you can Google Enterprise Holdings Foundation, find more on their website, or we have a news story about the commitment at KMOX.com. And everybody should stick around. We'll be right back with more Nothing Impossible right after this. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Well, welcome back to our show about local innovation. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan with you, and we talk about geospatial a lot. It's one of the industries that St. Louis is a hub for, you could say. And the first-of-its-kind accelerator is launching for geospatial companies. Joining us right now is Andy Deering of GeoFutures. Thank you so much, Andy. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Andy, give us a little background on what this new accelerator is going to be. Well, so NGA has, has been working in partnership with uh, Missouri Technology Corporation. And, you know, the, the opportunity, uh, and I, I guess, you know, it started you know, several years ago when NGA has been more opening its doors and, and working and partnering with the community on driving innovation and, and new ideas and, and emerging technologies. This was an opportunity for them to have dedicated funding to engage with the community, engage with startups, provide some accelerated capital f for those startups, and, and more importantly, um, collaborate on ideas and what their needs are as they've kind of published what their roadmap is going to be from a technology perspective and where they need, um, where they need ideas and where they need to, to have organizations really um, start up and help support them and their mission. 
Andy, how do you describe for people who are maybe they're in the car or they're at home uh, listening to the show and they're listening to the podcast maybe and they're thinking to themselves, all right, I'm new to technology in this scene. What is geospatial? What does that mean? How do you describe it to people? Uh, it's, it's the question that comes up most often. Um, so geospatial sounds like a, a, a daunting term, um, and it sounds very scientific. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's anything that has a locational aspect to it. So for, for most folks uh, who are in their cars right now that might be driving to work, you're calculating what your drive time might be and where traffic is. That's geospatial technology that's helping drive that and, and take all that information that's coming from your phone and other people's phones and looking at, you know, um, c- cameras and satellite imagery and other things and bringing that to make making you have a more informed decisions. You know, what NGA does is they use that type of information to help, you know, keep our troops safe, help, help protect our country, help support humanitarian missions. But other organizations all around St. Louis use that type of information to make um, to, to help drive what, you know, informed decisions or, or business plans that they need. You know, what, tar- what customers are they going to target or, you know, more importantly, um, you know, where, where should they place their next stores and, and how do they interact with those those customers? So that's, you know, location sciences or lo- location services is being used throughout, uh, you know, the, the country, the world. But, you know, we have something really special here in St. Louis. I, you know, when, sometimes when I think about it, I think it's only reserved for the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Like it's always something that, uh, <laughs> that only exists in sci-fi to get location data. Uh, but there are startups that are able to produce things, like you said, even for the retail business, and they can go through an accelerator. I think we should let's, – let's pause for a moment also. And Andy, can you talk, talk to us a little bit about what an accelerator is, just so our listeners have a, a better understanding of what that might be? Yeah, and an accelerator is just providing that early stage um, funding uh, that that you need. And a non non dilutive grant means you know they're not going to have to give up a you know piece of their company or those sorts of things to help you know really spur that next idea or say hey does does this idea that I have maybe I have a small sensor or maybe I have some some piece of technology that I've developed that I think it might be cool but I can really collaborate with NGA to say, hey, does this meet your needs? What, what ideas do you have to help continue to develop that, but also get paid to do that and keep driving that forward? And I'll tell you that early stage acceleration capital for most startups is the most critical. And having partnerships with like capital innovators and, and helping not only provide the funding, but also provide the connect, connections, networking, uh, mentorship, and others, you know, that's the value added that you get out of the accelerators that then can propel them for next stage of capital they might need to raise or, or continue to build and grow their companies. You know, and lots of success stories of like Benson Hill here locally who came out of NTC and, and had some of that early stage capital to now what they are today and, and building a, you know, a campus there uh, near the Danforth Center. So those are the stories that we need to continue to build and create, especially around geospatial. Yeah, when people think of these industries, Andy, uh, for instance, we, we talk with uh, Stadia Ventures about sports startups, and they're often looking to hook up with the teams in St. Louis, the Cardinals, or we talk about ag, and it's often Bayer, Monsanto that's driving it, uh, financial technology, it's often MasterCard that's involved in health. When we talk with BioSTL, they point to Express Scripts, Centene, and the hospital systems. And so when it comes to geospatial Everybody is learning, at least, if they don't already know, that NGA is the big dog in St. Louis. It's going to be looking at these different technologies, potentially the customer that these startups are, are aiming for. Talk about that relationship, what NGA is looking for, and is there anything else that we're missing? Is there another company that's rising in St. Louis that might also be uh, a similar uh, agent in this industry in this area? 
Yeah, so it's a great question. I, you know, what, what NGA is really needing and looking for, if you can imagine, you know, they've, for many years, they've looked at, you know, what we call satellite imagery or pictures of the Earth, and they, they get, you know, refreshes of that information on a, on a daily basis, and, and sometimes they can get even video feeds just to monitor and understand what's going on in the world. And if you can imagine, the world's a pretty big place, and to keep eyeballs on everything that's going on is really tough. The great opportunity that we have here is, you know, you take data scientists or people that can build algorithms to interrogate, you know, those pixels, those, those digital pixels of imagery and say, hey, this is something happening here. And I can, you know, you can take, have a computer go and do it and then peel back through all those mounds of information and say, oh, we've got something here or, hey, this is making sense. Then to have an NGA specialist kind of go and say, yes verified there's something that's happening here and so they need innovative solutions to basically extract value out of all the information that they are collecting or that they're you know producing um, on a daily basis to help you know keep our, our troops safe and help make sure that that we're keeping you know all, all the things that are part of NGA's mission so that's you know they need innovative solutions to help them continue to to you know give us a step up on our adversaries that are out there um, so I think that's that's the big the big opportunity. I think if you look around the the landscape here in St. Louis, I'd actually say the opportunity with geospatial. You know, there's a large contingent and a large operation uh, at Bayer and slash Climate Corporation here locally that is doing almost a similar thing, but they're you know looking and 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 identifying satellite imagery and, and where things need to happen to help prescribe you know where nitrogen needs to be applied on on row crops. Or you know even even to um, some of their test plots and other things that they have going on around the globe. So they're a big consumer of that. I I would think that you know the big areas and especially what the GeoFutures report identified is transportation logistics. We are a a hub here in St. Louis around logistics and, and supply chain and transportation. We have two big great partners here, whether it be the transportation command at uh, Scott Air Force Base or Enterprise Rent-A-Car or the Enterprise Holdings Group and what they do managing a global fleet of, of cars and vehicles and, and equipment. So those are some models where that very much has a locational aspect on where those things need to be and how they respond to certain events. And so I would say, you know, that that's another great potential that we have. And then lastly, I, I think it goes without saying, healthcare and where health delivery is happening, where things are happening. I think now more more importantly than ever, we need to be more proactive and location and understanding locational aspects and location information helps bring us to be more proactive when or if and when an, another pandemic happens or how do we even to the to the sense of getting out that vaccination and all the logistics that needs to happen around that geospatial sciences has to be a front and center on that to make sure that we're getting people the the treatments they need so it seems like Andy with these other industries we just uh, tend to think of ag as ag and fintech as fintech but geospatial might be the one that just crosses all these boundaries and plays a part in logistics and financial and sports and agriculture and health and uh, it seems like it it touches so many of these different bases. Yes, location tech I, I will say that is a horizontal and a cross cuts every single one of those and that's that's really what the great opportunity is around around st louis is we can build upon that that relationship with nga and that, that great partnership we have there as a foundation to help you know continue to grow that science and help build and connect with larger businesses and, and then more importantly as we're talking here 
grow those next, you know, critical businesses or those ones that are thinking about cool new things like self-driving vehicles or, or whatever they are, right? And Andy, how important is it uh, for the state to get involved with this? Uh, Missouri Technology Corporation is a state agency, state organization. What role do they play in making this a priority and helping bring this to fruition? Well, I, I think it's it's extremely important. I think, you know, look at in not having all the information, you know, from other states, I think the, the successful innovation centers have had large, largely successful state participation in, in this type of way. Um, NGA and MTC, the, the partnership that MTC struck with NGA was so key in providing that, that connection, that linkage to be able to do things like this. And so the, the foresight of MTC and NGA really working and wanting to collaborate with us, you know, it, and, and with the state of Missouri and opening up these opportunities was absolutely key. Um, and hopefully we can have, you know, continued more, more funding around innovation because at the, at the end of the day, we need to have, um, that, that's really what enables our startups. And we are uh, really becoming a really good tech hub here in St. Louis. And, and really, we need to be a good tech hub to be a, a, a fantastic geospatial hub here in St. Louis. And because we're a tech hub, it wasn't hard to find partners for this. You already uh, talked about Missouri Technology Corporation, but Capital Innovators, uh, they're a regular on Nothing Impossible, Travis, because they uh, they have experience um, running these kinds of uh, accelerator programs for outside entities, for partners. Uh, we've talked with them about the Ameren Accelerator before. And so, Andy, what is it meant to have this uh, ecosystem in St. Louis already supporting startups in a general sense that you can then hook into, get this expertise, get these programs, and help orient them toward geospatial? How much of a head start? How important was that? I, I in my opinion, extremely important. Um, it, having an accelerator that's been established here, having the, the, the processes and the infrastructure set up already, having a, a proven track record, um, what Judy and Brian are doing over at Capital Innovators is really something special. And really, you know, them connecting and, and now being a part of the larger geospatial community is just, uh, is, is just remarkable. And I think it's going to, again, jumpstart, you know, thinking about, you know, the, the number of cohorts that they're going to have each year, the number, uh, the number of institutions or organizations that are going to be able to take advantage of this. Um, stemming on, on flowing from even Arch Grants having six awards that were done to geospatial companies, the $50,000 equity-free grants that were done, this is just a, a compounding step to help support those early-stage startups. And, and having an organization like Capital Innovators who have a proven track record is, is really, really important to make sure, ultimately, that our, our startups have what they need. A, a lot is happening. We're building out, really, a, a complete geospatial infrastructure and ecosystem. Uh, I know that T-Rex, the downtown incubator, has launched an entire floor that they call Geosaurus. Uh, uh, let's see, we had Moonshot Labs that was announced. Uh, NGA was going to launch Moonshot Labs. Do you know what how Moonshot Labs fits into Geosaurus or the Accelerator? I mean, it seems like a lot is happening in this space. <laughs> That's awesome. I would be remiss to say that, I mean, what um, Patty and Mark are doing down at T-Rex with uh, first opening their doors with their Geospatial Innovation Center that's there, um, and then also you know securing the win with Moonshot Labs and NGA, I mean, that, that is a key, you know, success piece that, you know, they, they've driven. And I know uh, Patty and Mark, have, you know, that was a lot of work on their part to work with NGA on getting that landed as well. Um, first, the Geospatial Innovation Center, that's, you know, it's going to have programming and training and collaboration with 
everyone in the region to help really drive and bring forward, um, you know, the, the geospatial ecosystem and, and understanding and, and helping support not only the early stage startups, but there's also larger organizations that are around there to help support them. Esri's in the building um, and, and others that are that are there. Um, going back to Moonshot Labs, you know, NGA has for many years been behind the secure walls down there on Second Street, where you, you really didn't have a chance to collaborate with them. It was a you know a couple of years ago that they started working in the T Rex building. They weren't you know widely advertised there, but they were working in concert, and they had a group of developers that were there, and and um, they were engaging and working more out in the open because they could actually do a lot of stuff in the open environment. And that was what um, you know Admiral Sharp had, had announced that they they want to be more um, open in what they're doing. This is just the next step of that. But what the opportunity there is is having a labs environment. It's simulated off of, you know, other um, Air Force initiatives and others where they've had successes of working with early stage capital, bringing in young companies, helping collaborate on identifying the problem and really testing that solution hand in hand with the government. Um, That's what Moonshot Labs, you know, amongst many other things can help provide. And so that's a key piece. And I I think, you know, having a, a dedicated open space for that, for people to come and collaborate is is vitally important and i think it was well again a lot of these things are coming together that you know are going to help build and grow the ecosystem that we have going on here and i i'm super excited to see what we have what we have going on and i mean these continued successes will only only continue to happen in 2021 as people start really aligning around what we have here and and Addie, as as we wrap up i I'd be remiss if, and I think we've had you on the show before when we talked about how the geospatial infrastructure and ecosystem is growing in a similar fashion to how we built out, St. Louis built out the biotech, both ag and health tech around BioSTL, you know, over a decade ago. Do you see some parallels? And is there learning that you're able to take from what Don Rubin and the group of BioSTL did early on to to build an industry sector specific uh, ecosystem? Absolutely. There, you know, that we have used that as a footprint and a, and a, as a pattern for success for us going forward. The one difference that we, you know, went a little bit different from is we already had a lot of things growing here already. We already had, you know, obviously NGA, but we had a lot of companies. You, you looked around, you had 27,000 direct and indirect jobs that were already here working in geospatial. You had, you know, what was going on at T-Rex, what was going on at Cortex. You had um, investment that was already being made for for innovators, and really what we said is like we had to have an accelerator, a growth strategy. We didn't have to build anything versus what they had to do, um, you know, twenty, uh, you know, ten, twenty years ago with um, the plant life sciences, where they had to kind of grow and build some of the infrastructure. People had to build some things around that. So that's the advantage that we have is we're actually able to leverage the success that we we were able to produce from the BioSTL and the plant life sciences work that's going on here to help, you know, really what we needed from uh, a geospatial or a tech ecosystem and building that to, together. So we've definitely been taking uh, a page out of the playbook that, that Don and many others, you know, with him have done to make us a, a global center of excellence around that and, and really looking forward to continued success and alignment as we go forward under GeoFutures. Andy Deering, the project lead for the GeoFutures Initiative. Thank you so much for joining us and glad you could find your way to us. <laughs> thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us in this edition of Nothing Impossible. We'll be back next week with more innovation in the St. Louis region. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.